welcome to the MJ blog. I say hallelujah to you because it's a new day and God is still good. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. Isn't that an interesting passage? It actually defines what the word of God is. Now, there's very few places in the Bible that define the Word of God, meaning what it actually is, not what it does, even though that is here, but what it is. The other place that describes the Word of God, and not just what it is, as in sharp, powerful, and a double-edged sword, John 1, 1 defines that the word was God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So if God is his word, what does that mean? Well, God is honest, right? If there is somebody whose word is good, whose word is true, whose words have never been wrong, sinful, deceitful. They have never missed the mark. And of course, we know this to be true of Jesus Christ, sinless, no sin even in his heart, no sin even in his thoughts, no sin in any of his actions. We know that Christ is the word of God. He's perfect, absolutely perfect and holy. Therefore, he's powerful, right? And he's he's sharp. We've talked about in other podcasts as well, the greatness of Christ, the magnificence and glory of Christ, and the difference between love and judgment. And how one can be offered an experience in perfect goodness, perfect love, perfect beauty, purity of heart and soul. And because, this is an example of Jesus, this is John three sixteen and 17 through 20 and 21, really all of that passage in context, John three sixteen, it's full context. And as Barclay's commentary explains, you're offered an experience in nothing but goodness and joy and peace and love, Jesus, right, to accept Christ. And because that experience has been rejected, it is actually a judgment on the person or the soul who has rejected it, like Nicodemus. He saw the light of Christ and almost got saved. Now, this was he was a Jew. This is when Jesus walked the earth. 
And he came, he was a leader of the synagogue, and he came at night to, to talk to Jesus. And the very grace and beauty and holiness and the perfection that drew Nicodemus to Christ ended up judging him, right? He was offered salvation. It was presented to him. And because he rejected that, that chance, that opportunity that Christ was giving him for salvation and reaching out to him, touching and softening his heart, because it was rejected, it ends up in judgment. And we've talked about this before, that that means that there is a pitiable blindness in that man's soul, according to Barclays, because he could not see the beauty in Christ. Now, I think in, in Nico's case, Nicodemus's case, I think that the fear, and this is the case for a lot of Jews, which is why Jesus talked about it, it was very hard for the Jews in Jesus' day to accept Christ because it basically meant denouncing in some way or form their old life and religion. It had, it had them stepping away from all their performance, all their rules, um, all their, their rituals, all their traditions. It had them stepping away from these works and these customs into a completely different space, a completely new covenant, if you will, of unearned, undeserved acceptance simply because a being is pure goodness, love. And then here's the other thing. In, in the eyes of God, right, his perfect son, in his great love and unfailing love for us, in his holy, holy being and righteousness, he actually gave himself for us, which means it's merciful, right? God is merciful. It is holy to be merciful. Now, it's not always wise to be merciful. That's why God is righteous. Now, this is not the first place in the Bible that a man gets judged because he has rejected God's grace. And what is God's grace? Undeserved, unearned, no merit of your own. So no works, no actions, no behavior, no heart posture, complete undeserved goodness and mercy, right? That's what mercy is, right? To be given something you don't deserve. That's what forgiveness is, right? From God. To be given something we don't deserve. You give someone grace. You forgive. You um, show them favor, right? When they don't deserve favor. So the first time that someone is shown this favor this forgiveness, this kind of unconditional acceptance, unconditional love, the very first time that, that this is shown, displayed for us 
in the Bible, aside from creation, right? I mean, we don't have any choice about whether or not we're created. It's God who decides to give us life. Um, But then, once we are free moral agents and exist in this world, and we have our eyes open to the option of Christ or another religion, right? We know the difference between right and wrong, sin um, and good and evil, as Adam did when God educated him. Well, what happens? We know in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin. But after they sin, are they judged? What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says that in Genesis 3, 6, first the woman partook and saw that that the food was, the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took up the fruit and did eat thereof and she gave it to her husband who was with her and he also ate it. So the next verse says that their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked, so they knew they had done something shameful or wrong. And so they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. Now, is the next verse, so God sentenced them to death and kicked them out of the garden and judged them because of their sin. My question to you is, is that the next verse? Is that Genesis 3.8? Well, no, it's not. It's not Genesis 3.8. Why? Because God is merciful and God wants to show mercy to man. God does not want to judge man. God wants to be merciful to man. How do we know that? Well, it's in seed form in Genesis 3.8. What happens when Adam and Eve basically blew it big time? Genesis 3.8. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. Okay, so the first thing that happens when we sin is a lot of times we run from God, right? Our conscience bothers us and we run from God. Why would we do this? Why would Adam do this if he knows God loves him and gave him everything? Well, the conscience is a very powerful tool, and we know Adam and Eve's conscience had been open to the knowledge of good and evil, not to God's unending mercy and God's love in Christ and the tree of life and how much God wants to save us and be a God to us and be a father to us. No, their eyes were open to the knowledge of good and evil, and that brought in guilt and shame and condemnation and even fear of God because we see here that they hide themselves from the very presence of the one they had dwelt so closely with and they're in fear and that's what shame will do shame will make you hide from the very one who wants to love you out of it right and cleanse you from it well what happens next Adam and Eve hide from God And rather than God sending angels and his sword of judgment and, you know, wrath and fire and brimstone to go flush them out of their hiding places, right? What does God do? 
when they hide themselves among the trees in the garden, well, Genesis 3, 9, God calls them and asks them, where are you? So God, man's messed up big time, did the one thing that God asked them not to do for their own sakes, for their own good, for their own well-being, out of his own love for them, to try to protect them from any hurt, harm, and danger. Adam does the thing he's not supposed to do. And when he's hiding in shame, God is still not condemning him. God actually comes to where he is and says, where are you? Even though God knows, right? God's just trying to strike up a conversation with his man, like with his, you know, with his creation. And he says, you know, where are you? Now, what does Adam do? He says, okay, I was afraid God and I was hiding because I heard your voice and I was naked. So I hid myself. Now, Again, look how slow God is to judge the man who's already messed up. All this is going on. His lightning fast judgment hasn't even struck man yet. It's like God is looking for a way to get man out of his trouble. And man just continually refuses to acknowledge God and pushes God away and tries to push God out of his consciousness. I mean, that's what people do, right? They try to pretend like there is no God, that there is no you know, judgment of the earth and eternal judgment, you know, the white throne judgment. They try to act like that's never going to happen, but their conscience actually deeply disturbs and troubles them because they have no peace with God deep within. And so this is kind of what happens with Adam because Adam has brought these spiritual principalities and powers into the world. Why? Because he was ruler of the world and he gave dominion, his dominion, his keys to earth. He gave it to, to Satan. He gave it to the devil. I mean, wow, that's a, not a very good trade because Adam lost everything in return. Well, God still at this point, rather than judging man and kicking him out of the garden immediately, has like an entire roll call he gets with Adam. You can read the story in Genesis 3. You guys know it very well. Then he Adam blames his wife instead of fessing up and being a man. He he blames his, his girl that he's actually responsible for, even though he wasn't doing his job. I mean, like, talk about a cop-out. Like, this guy is like just a weak man. Well, now... Instead of his, his, he blamed his wife, and instead of his wife really owning up to it, she kind of blames the devil. And so God is still going rounds with man, like looking for a way to forgive them, looking for them to be responsible. And Eve is more responsible than the man. She at least is like, yeah, okay, I did it, but the devil deceived me, <laughs> right? And then finally, because neither one of them apologizes, Neither one of them is, is sorry for their sin before God. God judges them. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And we see that because God sends his word to Adam. Where are you? He knows he's hiding and he says, where are you? Uh, 
that should that that word was judging Adam because Adam should have known. Gee, God knows I'm hiding from him because he just asked where I was, as if he didn't know I'm hiding. You ever played hide and go seek with a little kid and like they think they're hiding and like you know where they are? It's a silly example, but how true is that of what Almighty God is to us, His children? We're born again as new babes in Christ learning things about our father, our true father, our true author of our life and existence who wanted us, right, from the from before the foundations of the world. And then this is exactly what men are like, what men, um, women are like. We hide from God thinking he doesn't know everything when he already knew everything, right? Even before he sent his son, he already knew, right, that that we were going to have sins. And, and God had to know all the sins we'd ever commit. Else, how could he forgive them all in the body of Christ? So let's talk about another scripture in Hebrews. Because what you see in this case with Adam and Eve hiding is the fearful expectation of what? judgment. They were afraid. Now, they had never experienced fear before. So what were they afraid of? If they've never experienced fear before, because fear was not in the earth, it was not a principality in the earth, the prince of the air was not yet in authority, right? He was a lowly nobody. He had not been given rulership yet until Adam gave him the keys. They had no fear. But then when they sin, they become fearful, they become, uh, they're afraid of God, and they're, they're in shame, right? They're in guilt, they're in condemnation. And why? Why are they afraid? What are they afraid of? The loving God who'd given them so much? The loving God who was chasing them down with, with, the, with his love? No, they were afraid. This is what I put before you. Test it in scripture yourself. Prove all things. They were afraid of God's judgment. Of the divine, the terrifying expectation of divine judgment that God had already pronounced. Saying, if you do this, you will die. Surely you will die. Hebrews 10.27 says, a kind of awful and terrifying expectation of judgment remains, right? When we sin, that's what remains now when we don't realize that a perfect sacrifice has been given to atone for our sins. What remains if we continue, you know, to sin, what we feel if we don't know who God is, if we don't know how perfectly forgiven we are, is the fear of God's judgment. The fury of his fire burning with wrath, which consumes the adversaries, those who put themselves in opposition to God. Now that's Hebrews 10, 27 in the Amplified. So they're afraid of God's judgment, which God's judgment was death, right? If you do this, you will die. Okay, terrible, terrible choice to make, terrible to choose death, but that's what Adam and Eve did. And how do we know that this is basically 
what they are afraid of. Well, Hebrews doesn't stop there in explaining this scripture to us. Hebrews 2.14 says that now since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Okay, we're saying a lot of he's and him's. So the first he, he, Jesus, shared in their humanity, which there is the children of flesh and blood, his children of God, so that by Jesus' death, Jesus might destroy him, the devil, who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Because remember, who has the power of death once Adam gave over his right to rule, which is the devil. And those, now here's the key verse. And those who all their lives, all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. What's holding people all their lives in slavery to fear? Well, what are they in, what are they in fear of? Death. The exact same thing that was pronounced when they partook of the wrong tree is the same fear that exists in the mind and conscience of man to this day. They're afraid of death. They're afraid of the fearful expectation of punishment, which is death. When, when you sin, you're afraid of what? Being punished. A fearful expectation of punishment. When you know you've done wrong, are you worried that you're going to get rewarded? Absolutely not, because you know you've done wrong, right? You're afraid of being punished for your sins. And that's exactly what Hebrews 2, 14 and, and 10, 27 are, just, are explaining here from Genesis even, that this is what Adam was experiencing in his conscience towards God, that there is divine judgment. There is uh, for morality on this earth. And it is going to be done by God himself. Now, if you're a child of God, we see that God seeks you out. He wants to save you. He never wants you to sin. He tries to warn you, right? He goes before you. But there is still in this earth those who are bound by fear because of what God, Almighty God, has already pronounced. And because man knows he has a maker deep in his heart and, and knowing and spirit and soul, he knows there is someone to answer to. I mean, are you afraid to go to your boss and talk to your boss when you've done a good job? <laughs> no. No, you're not. You are happy to go to your boss, excited to go to your boss, even looking forward to it. Why? Because you think you've, you've done a good job, or at least you know you've done what's, what's been asked or required of you, right? If you haven't met any of those requirements or done any of the good things he's asked you to do or been good at your job, right, you're not afraid to go to your boss. But if you've messed up, you're afraid to go to your boss. Why? Because you know there's, there's consequences, right? You know there's a repercussion to disobeying your boss. And now, again, that's a simple example in the world, but it's displaying 
the inner workings of, a, of the mind and conscience and soul of a man that we often are unaware of that God spiritually speaks to in his holy scripture. So let's talk about the word holy scripture and when lightning strikes. Because that is the title of this podcast on this rainy early Monday morning. And lightning is fast, right? Lightning fast speed, lightning fast judgment, lightning fast discerning of thoughts and intents of the heart. Because Christ is the light of the world. And when I was recording my last podcast, some of you have heard about my struggles and and battles um, if you've listened to the podcast long enough. And you may or may not know that this podcast was something I did not even want to start. I did it in obedience begrudgingly, angrily to obey God because I know who he is and I, I trust him even though I did not want to start this podcast. I have wanted to shut it down. I have tried to shut it down and I was hoping it would be shut down by this time last year. God will not let me go. <laughs> he will not let me shut it down and I was, I was preaching on my last podcast and there's, there's a reason behind all of those things, right? The reason I was so fearful to do it. I so you know didn't want to do it. There was a lot of unbelief in my heart and a lot of fear of speaking for God because of things that have happened to me when I've spoken for God. Um, some people understand spiritual warfare. Some do not. But sometimes there's counterattacks. When you obey God and stand in his holy presence, sometimes there's counterattacks. When you speak the word and you start to combat the forces of darkness, sometimes there's counterattacks. But God is bigger than all of those things. He's greater than all of those things. There's no principality or power that Jesus did not already put under his feet in the spirit realm, even though experientially in this world, we are still seeing people who have given place to the enemy and their strongholds in this world and in the man's and uh, hearts and minds of man that Jesus is dealing with, right? He's still waiting, opening his arms to, to lost humanity waiting for the final judgment on earth. Until then, God is right, doing what he did with Adam, going out, seeking them, seeking and saving the lost, and trying to bring man back to Christ. And so for me, when I was doing this last podcast on the 15th, I think, of October, was the release date, there was um, a storm going on outside. It was lightning and thunder, and um, I had really, like, I was just, like, done. Like, I just did not want to keep doing this. Um, I have wanted to shut everything down. I have not wholeheartedly been walking in my call because I haven't wanted to. I don't, I don't, I didn't want to answer. I still struggle with wanting to answer the call of God in my life. Um, long story behind that, but that is the short of it. And there's, I've been terribly bound by fear. I've had a real battle with fear because of the woundings in my life in the spirit, which means from the church and from other Christians and from uh, 
particularly what the story you've heard is my past relationship and the, and the depth of the pain and the hurt that that caused, um, not just to my soul, but the destruction it did in my life. And so mainly that's one of the reasons is I've not wanted to follow God is because of the poor image of God that has been represented to me from other Christians. Now I'm not perfect. I've certainly, um, messed up and not been a, a very good person to other people before. So, so all is well in that regard. I don't hold those people, um, accountable and responsible for their sin. God does. And I have forgiven. Um, but that doesn't mean I necessarily want to walk in my calling, right? I mean, there's only so much you can take, um, from those principalities and powers for you're just like, I'm, I'm done, God. I'm, I'm done fighting this battle. And the truth is, it's it's not my battle. Those forces of darkness are, are Christ's battle. And so when I was really ready to throw up my hands and just like walk out because I was so sick of doing ministry um, and, and walking with the Lord. Now, my heart's not always been right before God. Um, you can't experience deep wounds from people you think are, are representing God and really they're representing the devil, right? I mean, wouldn't that confuse anybody? Yeah. And so, um, I was doing my podcast and I was talking about Jesus taking our punishment on the cross and that we shouldn't expect punishment from God according to scripture, as I've just explained, because aside from what I've just explained, Christ was punished? Was he not chastised for our peace with God? By his stripes, we are healed. He was actually punished by God for our stuff. Has anybody else ever been sent to jail for your evil deeds? And then be like, I'll take your place, bro. I'll go to jail for you. Have you, I mean, like that people don't do that kind of thing. Seldom for a good man would a person die, but for the wicked would a person die? And that's where we get into only Christ, only the love of God. Only can God love that way. And you might say, well, you know, Laurel, you love God. And that's true. I do love God. So why wouldn't you want to obey him if you know he's good? Well, Adam didn't, right? <laughs> now, Adam was lured in, into sin by his woman. But here, here's the thing. There's lots of stories in the Bible when people do good and they obey God. And instead of being rewarded, they're attacked. They're punished. That can only happen to you so many times before your wires get crossed in your mind. This church hurt thing that I've been talking about on social media is so very real. And it has kept people bound because they then think that God is like man. And, and the best man can do is to try to be like God, right? God is ne- man is never going to be perfect like God. And we don't have to be because Christ filled that role for us. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to improve. And so that was one of the reasons because when I have spoken out the truth and spoken against evil and spoken against things, there's been counterattacks in my life, which has led me to say, I'm not, I'm not doing what you want me to do anymore, God, because I get punished every time it happens to me. Every time I love or or obey you, something terrible has happened to me. 
So my wires have been crossed in my mind and I have been full of fear even doing these podcasts because of who's been in the spirit. So I was, I was doing the last podcast and as I was speaking about Jesus being punished for our sins and in our place and that we should not have a fearful expectation of judgment from God because of the work of Christ. Literally, thunder's going on (laughs) and then this huge lightning strikes near my house and the power goes off like everything surges in the house. The only thing that keeps going is my podcast. (laughs) And I may have mentioned this before, but I have drawn very near to God in my past. And I, I come from a very, I have a very solid foundation of love in my home and in my upbringing. And so I initially, when I got saved and because I knew God and I had a conversation and you guys have probably heard it. You know, I was saved out of immorality and I was reached out to even in my immorality. I knew God knew who I was and I knew he still loved me. And so I didn't have a lot of fear for him because God was like a lover to me, right? Jesus was like a lover to me. He loved my soul. He loved me and he knew who I was and he didn't judge me. He was basically just trying to lead me out and help me. And And I didn't have a lot of fear of judgment or fear of punishment in my life. Because as you may or may not think, I have been spoiled, right? So there wasn't a lot of fear of punishment or especially a fear of death, like afraid of dying. I don't have afraid of not, I don't have a fear of not having enough food or not having enough to eat or not having enough clothes or shelter over my head. I don't have those fears. That's not a part of my makeup from when I was right born and raised so when I get saved this is my foundation of of the love of God the love of a father in my life and so I'm not afraid of God I just think he's forgiven me because my daddy knows what I've been doing because I know exactly that's what my daddy's like he don't have to say a word he just has to look at me and I be and I know because I know my daddy knows me he knows what I'm up to He knows me, knows me, knows me. He knows when I'm trying to get away with something. He knows what I'm trying to manipulate. He knows my dad knows me. He winnows me out with his eyes. That's my my dad. Just his presence brings in the right, the fear of, of truth, right? The expectation of okay, I've been caught. But because my 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 godfather, right, my God given father wasn't an angry man I wasn't really afraid of him I just knew I might get in trouble or I needed you know right to be corrected that stuff had gone wrong and I needed to do better or I was going to get in time out or whatever right and so as as I'm learning Christ being saved this is my picture of, of, of God a loving father a good God Well, then I get into church and go through hell on earth and get into the worst relationship I've ever been in with a pastor who nearly destroys me in my life. 
I obviously have the wrong kind of example of God, the wrong kind of fear of God that doesn't get reversed until my last podcast because lightning struck and laid bare the awesome fear that I had in my heart of God. The fear of God destroying me for speaking out against wickedness, spiritual principalities, and powers. Is that not what God calls people to do? Is to not remain silent, but to speak out against wickedness? To do justice, but to love mercy? Isn't that what God did in the garden to Adam and Eve? He executed justice. He kicked them out of the garden. He, he followed through with his previously pronounced judgment of what was to come if they disobeyed. But he didn't love it, right? He, he, he didn't even do it. He sent his cherub to do it. He ran to man. He gave man chance after chance. Two chances. Gave Adam a chance twice, then gives Eve a chance because her authority is not the same as the man of God, um, Adam, because Adam is the head of her. So he gives Eve a chance too, and she blows it. So he loves mercy, but he still executes justice because he has to, because he's God and man made their choice. We get to choose our actions or reactions, right? We get to choose how we behave. What we don't get to choose is the consequence of that behavior. We don't get to choose how people respond to our behavior. Nobody owes us anything. We are not entitled to anyone's good opinion. We get to behave ourselves the way that we choose and then suffer the consequence of that behavior. Now, in the case of Adam and Eve, they chose to disobey God. If you thought God was going to strike you dead at any moment for your sin, you would be afraid of God too. If you were afraid that somebody would hurt you, right, or, or raise their hand, right, in a fist fight, right? If you know this guy has hit you before, would you not be afraid to go around him because of that? Yes. But again, Adam's experience with God should have taught him that that wasn't God who did that. And the wrong kind of fear of God, the fear of his divine judgment and, and wrath. Now, if you're not a believer, you should be afraid of God in that sense. You should be afraid of, of judgment and wrath because you're living under the wrath of God and his, his wrath is literally upon you because you haven't accepted Christ. That's why people don't live as blessed lives sometimes 
is because they're not saved, right? They don't have God's favor, God's blessing on their lives because they don't belong to God. They're not children of the light. They're children of darkness and they're condemned already. According to, to scripture, that's the gospel. They're already condemned if they've not stepped into the light, accepted Christ as their savior. So they have still a fearful expectation of judgment. But we, as believers, should not have this fearful expectation of judgment because of the fiery indignation and wrath of God that was poured out upon Jesus Christ. Because none of us could really bear up under if God punished us for all of our sins, I'm not sure that anybody could actually bear up under that. I mean, that's literally a description of hell, right? Eternal punishment and damnation for your sins. Not a good deal, y'all. I, I don't know what you've bought into and the devil has told you, but there's a heaven and a hell. You only get to go to one or the other and your only chance to go to heaven is by accepting Christ while on this earth. You don't get a second chance while you're in hell. You don't get a second chance in some weird purgatory place. And honestly, that purgatory place a lot of people, you know, kind of talk about is is hell. It's just the place of like a temporary hell before God cast all the spiritual principalities, all those who've rejected his son into eternal hell. Right? into the eternal judgment, the final judgment. You really just get to die again when you're not saved. First you die naturally, then you die spiritually, like and eternally. So you're, you're in one hell and you just get to a worse hell. Uh, it, it's not a good deal. And, and I don't know why people study that or care about it. Because honestly, there's a better place. There's a light you can go to. It's Christ. And you can accept him and receive him. And then you don't even have to worry about who's going to hell and which hell they're caught in. Doesn't that just bring confusion and frustration and fear and worry into your life? That right there is an indication it's not of God. And leave the deep things to Christ. I mean, leave the deep things of eternity to the Lord. Why are we trying to explore and learn about hell? I mean, it's a terrible place. Why do you want that knowledge? Do you think it's going to bless your mind, your heart, and your soul? Absolutely not. It's a place of eternal torment where the worm dies not. Y'all should read the blog about why do I live on because it will scare you. And God warns everybody about hell. Because he doesn't want them to go there. Why are people so fixated on evil? On the knowledge of evil? Eat from the tree of life. So let's go back to when lightning strikes. The word of God. When the word of God strikes, it is quick it is powerful, it is sharp than any two-edged sword. Now, what's a sword? A two-edged sword. Could you actually hold a two-edged sword? Probably not, not without getting cut. And isn't that a picture of the word? It divides, it cuts between our hearts and our feelings and our emotions and our flesh. 
and even our spirit, right? It has the power to save our spirit eternally. And is lightning, a bolt of lightning, not like somebody throwing one of those little like ninja spear things that it's like a spear when they, you know, pull it out of their sheave and they just hurl it. (laughs) And that's kind of like what lightning does in a man form, right? It's, it's fast. It's like a laser, right? It's all light. It It's in the air. And that's what a a laser does. It cuts. It can even cut people's eyes, right? Oh my goodness. It cuts people's eyes like LASIK, uh, LASIK surgery and stuff like that. Lasers are powerful. And so when lightning strikes, when the word of God comes forth, it does judge our thoughts and our intentions of our heart, right? When God spoke to the serpent, he pronounced judgment, enmity between him and the woman. God's word judges. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, piercing the dividing of soul and spirit. God judges the spirit of a man, how he intended and the thoughts that he had in his heart and mind when he acted. The laws of the land judge only the actions. People judge you based a lot of times only on your actions. Why? Because they don't know your heart. They don't know the intentions of your heart and mind when you made a decision or said that or did that. But guess what? God does. Isn't that why Christians are at least trying to be some of the better behaved people in the world because they fear and they know there's someone to answer to. Whereas the godless, they don't really care because they're not, they're not convinced that there's anybody to answer to. They're not convinced of eternal judgment. So they're going around like there's nobody to answer to, even though that's a lie, there is somebody to answer to. So let's look at Zechariah 13, 7, Old Testament prophet, And he says, uh, by the word of the Lord, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Okay, we're talking about a sword. And the reason I keep using sword and judgment and lightning all together is because we know that the word of God is like a sword. Sharper, double-edged sword. It's powerful. Lightning in the Bible is, and not just in the Bible, but even to this day, mankind sort of associates getting struck down by lightning (laughs) as like a judgment from God. Even the Bible says that he will, um, if Jesus is lifted up from the earth, God will draw all judgment to him. God will literally strike him down in judgment with lightning the shepherd instead of the sheep, right? That God will will strike down Jesus in judgment to save the lost. For God did not send his son into this world 
to condemn it, right? But that it might be saved. Because if you don't accept Christ, you already stand in fearful awe of eternal judgment, condemnation, death. That is already the pronounced sentence for anyone who does not come to the tree of life. For its spiritual nourishment and awakening. Okay, when I awoke, when I spiritually awoke, I awoke to righteousness, not to sin. I awoke to righteousness, like the Bible says, awake to righteousness and sin not. When you are spiritually awakened, your wokeness should cause you to not want to sin. It should cause you to want to love and to do right. If you are awoke and you're out there destroying things, hurting people, not keeping promises, not keeping your word, being deceitful, being lustful, being um, abandoned, you know, a robber. (laughs) I don't even know if that's a word anymore. But if that's what you awoke to when your eyes were spiritually opened... Guess what, folks? You are not awakening to God. That's demonic. If you're awakening to anything that says repay evil for for evil, take justice on your own, you know, take it upon yourself to execute justice in the earth. Do what you want to do and get people back. If that's what you awoke to, repay and be vengeful to your enemies and make you your priority and your thoughts and your mind and your feelings God, if that's what you awoke to, you did not awake to the word of God. You did not awake to Jesus Christ. You didn't. If you are not wanting to do better, Feeling convicted by God's word, right? We know God's word convicts us. I've just described how his word judges us. Every man looks into this mirror of the word of God, the light of the word, and we walk away from we walk away from the word judged. We walk away from it discerned, right? His word is constantly discerning our thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, if you're a believer, you're on the right side of God. You're right with God. God is no longer judging you for your sins. God is no longer judging you um, for your for your past. God is trying to set you free of it and lead you out of it. His word does judge you daily in that it knows what's going on with you and will comfort you. It will build you up. It will convict you. But it's not going to condemn you. There is a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation, again, just bears down on you more and more. Makes you feel guilty, dirty, unworthy, and unloved. Conviction brings about cleansing. And that's what God's holy word does. It it seeks to convict us of sin and righteousness, right doing. So when when the word of God has gone forth, and like when, when I've said when I'm doing these podcasts or any of my ministry on my blog or on my um, social platforms, I'm in prayer. That's not, those aren't Laurel's words. That's not coming from Laurel's wor- heart. That's coming from 
the things inscribed on my heart by the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit, and I do have the gift of writing by this, the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you out of the word, out of another believer, out of the teachings, that's the, that's the Spirit of God doing that through his word. It's not always the person who is doing that. A lot of us are just vessels. We're just speaking what God tells us to. We're just writing what God tells us to. We're not necessarily judging that person or condemning them. Or sometimes we don't even know who who God is, you know, convicting with that word. I'll be the first one to say that's between you and God, not me and you, okay? I have no right to judge anyone that I am sure of, (laughs) that I am absolutely sure of. God knows who tunes in to my blog, whatever form it's coming from, whether it's verbal or written or whatever. And that's what the word of God does is it, it judges us. It judges our hearts, our minds, and our intentions, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later too, but have you ever heard your, your mama say before she spanks you or whoops you, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you? Well, I mean, that's kind of like what it is with, with Jesus, right? With what he did for us on the cross. Why? Because light has come into the world, the word of God, the light of the world has come into the world and men have not believed or not received of him. Therefore, they're left to be judged. Jesus is the word of God and his very presence brings about conviction. Perfect goodness, when rejected, brings about judgment Because it's showing the blindness of one's soul if they can't accept perfect goodness and perfect love. It's showing that that's foreign to them. It's showing that they don't believe there is such a thing, such a good thing as God. Therefore, they're judged that they can't believe. Isn't that sad? The Barclays calls it pitiable that they can't believe in that kind of goodness. And so let's go back to this sword of judgment because God is so good that as we talked about in Zechariah 13.7 and we're talking about Hosea 2.16, which I'll bring up uh, as I close here. Jesus Christ, even though we deserve judgment, that's what we deserve. We deserve to be punished, right? Isn't that what we deserve when we do wrong is punishment. But is that what the Bible promises us? For all your sins, you're going to get punished. Is that the promise of the believer? Or is it of the new covenant believer? Let me me clarify. No. No. The new covenant believer, according to Hosea 2.16, contrasts, and we've talked about law, Old Testament, 
works versus new covenant grace, undeserved, unearned, unmerited um, favor of God, forgiveness of God. Hosea is talking about the affirmation of Jehovah. This is 2.16. That thou does call me my husband and does not call me anymore my Lord. So God in Hosea is prophesying a new covenant, a new marriage agreement, new marriage covenant with his people where they will refer to God as a lover, a husband, and not a Lord, or as some translation put it, a master or a boss, someone who just tells you what to do and tells you what to do and tells you what to do and constantly measures you and constantly evaluates you and constantly judges you. If you got a husband like that, honey, your life is going to be hell. Your life is going to be absolutely miserable. I've been in some bad relationships. Men who are like that are miserable to be around. There's no grace in them. There's no kindness. They're just constantly judging you and they have no mercy, right, for you. And that's kind of what the law is. It's God's holy and perfect standard that man can never live up to, right, that, that men are tested by. We are tested by or judged by the word of God. How many times was Adam judged? He was shown grace by God. How many times in the garden before God finally stopped giving him second chances and judged him and cast him out of the garden? God's word judges us. It divides soul and asunder, showing us our very thoughts and intentions of our heart. I had the wrong kind of fear of God. That's why to undo that fear of God... God literally had to strike the earth with lightning so near me that I was no longer fearful of his presence that I had been running from since for about a year because of the evil that had happened in my life through church, through Christians. And it laid bare my terrible fear of God striking me down. Now, why should I be afraid of God killing me? I shouldn't be. But again, things have happened that I don't really want to talk about. So here God promises in Hosea that he's not going to be a Lord or a master to his people anymore, a boss, a demanding, judgmental, mean boss. I mean, some of y'all who work for people like this, it's almost unbearable. It's exhausting. That's for sure. He promises to be what? A husband. Hopefully you've had good experiences in love, but a husband is gentle A husband is kind. A husband is loving. He's understanding. He listens. He takes care of you. He cleanses you with his word, right? He makes you feel good about yourself by his, the words that he speaks. He's tender and loving and affectionate. And that's who God really is. That's who God showed himself to be to Adam and Eve. And they rejected him. They rejected his grace. They rejected the fact that he reached out to them. And so he kicked them out. He judged them and kicked them out of the garden. Not because he wanted to, but because they made their choice again and again and again of how they would respond to God's love sent to them. And that's how the word of God judges us. And that's why Zechariah 13, 7 talks about God being perfect goodness And that Jesus basically, what does he do? He falls on his own sword. 
Some people need to meditate on that. God falls on his own, again, judgment. He pronounced death for the sins of the world and for any man who sins, God pronounced death upon the soul that sins. It must die. Hebrews 2.14, I leave you with this. Now, since the children of flesh and blood, um, now, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity, right? He became flesh. So that by Jesus' death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. All of their lives, the children who have flesh and blood are held in slavery because of their fear of death. Fear of basically the fearful expectation of judgment and punishment that God, that we know is on the earth. That God is a God, a just God. He's so just, he's so righteous, he's so holy that he must punish sin. But rather than punish it in us, who does he actually punish for it? Jesus Christ. He falls upon his own sword. Arise, O sword, awake and strike who? My love, my beloved, my my lover, my bride? No, strike my shepherd. Strike Christ, the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord. That's who God judged in our place. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? So that why? So that we would be free of the fear of God's punishment, judgment, and wrath. So that we wouldn't have to be afraid of God beating us, hurting us, lying to us, manipulating us. Man does those things. The devil does those things. But not God. If God is for us, Who can be against us? Not even Satan and the powers of darkness can prevail against you when God is for you. Even if we've experienced the cruel hatred of somebody who's given place to the enemy, basically. Even if we experienced harsh words from other believers, God is still for us. Even if God's word has convicted us, it was never to condemn us, but to bring us out of our shame, of our guilt, of our fear that God hates us because he doesn't. He loves us. He runs to us to cleanse us, to save us out of our destructions. We shouldn't be afraid to obey God. I, even though I understood mentally and emotionally, I should not be afraid of God. My heart was bound by fear because of my experiences. And that's why we have to get, if you've been following me on social media, get before the Lord with any wound, with any hurt, with any fear, even of God, knowing that his truth trumps our experience and God's word can actually cleanse us. Judge the devil, judge the evil, but leave his beloved unscathed. 
leave his beloved victorious, leave his beloved precious in his sight. Because did God not raise Christ Jesus victoriously, never to die again? Yeah, that's exactly what God did because God calls us his beloved bride. He is a husband to us. And again, the picture of marriage with God is intended to be one who will never leave us, never forsake us. I will betroth you right in tenderness, in loving devotion, unfailing love. You will no longer call me Lord or master, right? Because Jesus was judged in our place. And God is someone who is intimately aware of everything that's going on with you. And he doesn't want evil to have you. He doesn't want infidelity to have you because it will destroy your life. God loves you and he wants you all to himself, right? He wants your heart, your soul, your mind, your body because he loves you and he owns you. He wants you, right? God wants to be a blesser and a giver in your life. He does have to judge sin and evil because it's already been judged in the body of Christ and God knows it's not good and he doesn't want it to destroy you. He wants you to live and have life and life more abundantly. And so a lot of times we might, we might feel separated from God because we realize that God is cleansing an immorality or an impurity in our life. But God is just cleansing us, separating us through his word. By his word, he's sanctifying and cleansing us from evil. He's not trying to hurt us. If we'll heed his word and listen to his word, we actually don't have to go through as many trials and circumstances in quote-unquote dealings. Why? Because we're close enough to the Lord to be cleansed without having to suffer circumstances because we won't come to God, right? If we don't come to God to be cleansed, God will use the world and other people to cleanse us and deal with us. Not because he wants to, but because he's trying to save us from ourselves. Because God is for us. God is not against us. Amen? Have a God-fearing, the right kind of God-fearing day, knowing that God is not condemning you. God is not judging you. God is always renewing your mind, renewing your hope, renewing your strength in Him. God bless you. Thank you again for tuning in.